0: Chapter twenty five of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty five Marcia hurried down to her own house early one morning. The phantoms of her experiences in the old green tavern were pursuing her. Once there, she could do nothing but go over and over the dreadful things that Harry Temple had said. In vain did she try to work she went into the library and took up a book but her mind would wander to david she sat down at the piano and played a few tender chords and sang an old italian song which somebody had left at their house several years before dearest believe whene'er we part lonely i grieve in my sad heart with a sob her head dropped upon her hands in one sad little crash of wailing tones while the sound died away in reverberation after reverberation of the strings, till Marcia felt as if a sea of sound were about her in soft ebbing, flowing waves. The sound covered the lifting of the side-door latch and the quiet step of a foot. Marcia was absorbed in her own thoughts. Her smothered sobs were mingling with the dying sounds of the music, still audible to her fine ear. David had come by instinct to his own home first. He felt that Marcia would be there, and now that he was come, and the morning sun flooded everything and made home look so good, he felt that he must find her first of all, before his relationship with home had been re-established. He passed through kitchen, dining-room, and hall, and by the closed parlor door. He never thought of her being in there with the door closed, he glanced into the library and saw the book lying in his chair as she had left it and it gave a touch of her presence which pleased him he went softly toward the stairs thinking to find her he had stopped at a shop the last thing and bought a beautiful creamy shawl of china crepe heavily embroidered and finished with long silken fringe he had taken it from his carpet-bag and was carrying it in its rice paper wrappings lest it should be crushed He was pleased as a child at the present he had brought her, and felt strangely shy about giving it to her. Just then there came a sound from the parlour, sweet and tender and plaintive. Marcia had conquered her sobs, and was singing again with her whole soul, singing as if she were singing to David. The words drew him strangely, wonderingly, toward the parlour door, yet so softly that he heard every syllable. Dearest believe, whene'er we part, Lonely I grieve in my sad heart. Thy faithful slave, languishing sighs, Haste then and save. Here the words trailed away again into a half-sob, and the melody continued in broken, halting chords that flickered out and faded into the shadows of the room. David's heart was pierced with the belief that Aunt Clorinda was right, and something was the matter with Marcia. A great trouble and tenderness, and almost jealousy, leaped up in his heart, which were incomprehensible to him. Who was Marcia singing this song for? That it was a true cry from a lonely soul he could but believe. Was she feeling her prison bars here in the lonely old house, with only a forlorn man whose life and love had been thrown away upon another? Poor child, poor child! If he might but save her from suffering— cover her with his own tenderness and make her content with that. Would it be possible if he devoted himself to it to make her forget the one for whom she was sighing, to bring peace and a certain sort of sweet forgetfulness and interest in other things into her life? He wanted to make a new life for her, his little girl whom he had so unthinkingly torn from the home nest and her future, and compelled to take up his barren way with him. He would make it up to her if such a thing were possible. Then he opened the door. In the soft green light of the noonday coming through the shades, Marcia's color did not show as it flew into her cheeks. Her hands grew weak and dropped upon the keys with a soft little tinkle of surprise and joy. She sprang up and came a step toward him, then clasped her hands against her breast and stopped shyly. David coming into the room, Questioning, wondering, anxious, stopped midway too, and for an instant they looked upon one another. David saw a new look in the girl's face. She seemed older, much older than when he had left her. The sweet round cheeks were thinner, her mouth drooped sadly, pathetically. For an instant he longed to take her in his arms and kiss her. The longing startled him. So many months he had thought of only Kate in that way, and then had tried to teach himself never to think of Kate or any woman as one to be caressed by him, that it shocked him. He felt that he had been disloyal to himself, to honor, to Kate, no, not to Kate, he had no call to be loyal to her. She had not been loyal to him ever. Perhaps rather he would have put it loyalty to love for love's sake, love that is worthy to be crowned by a woman's love with all these mingling feelings david was embarrassed he came toward her slowly trying to be natural trying to get back his former way with her he put out his hand stiffly to shake hands as he had done when he left and timidly she put hers into it yet as their fingers closed there leaped from one to the other a thrill of sweetness that neither guessed the other knew and each put by in memory for closer inspection as to what it could mean Their hands clung together longer than either had meant, and there was something pleasant to each in the fact that they were together again. David thought it was just because it was home, rest, and peace, and a relief from his anxiety about Marcia now that he saw she was all right. Marcia knew it was better to have David standing there with his strong fingers about her trembling ones than to have anything else in the world, but she would not have told him so. THAT WAS A SWEET SONG YOU WERE SINGING, SAID DAVID, I HOPE YOU WERE SINGING IT FOR ME AND THAT IT WAS TRUE. I AM GLAD I AM COME HOME, AND YOU MUST SING IT AGAIN FOR ME SOON. IT WAS NOT IN THE LEAST WHAT HE INTENDED TO SAY, AND THE WORDS TUMBLED THEMSELVES OUT SO TUMULTUOUSLY THAT HE WAS ALMOST ASHAMED AND WONDERED IF Marcia WOULD THINK HE HAD LOST HIS MIND IN NEW YORK. Marcia, DEAR CHILD, TREASURED THEM EVERY WORD and hugged them to her heart, and carried them in her prayers. They went out together and got dinner, as if they had been two children, with a wild excited sort of glee, and they tried to get back to their natural ways of doing and saying things, but they could not. Instead, they were forever blundering and halting in what they said, coming face to face and almost running over one another as they tried to help each other, laughing and blushing and blundering again. When they each tried to reach for the tea-kettle to fill the coffee-pot and their fingers touched, each drew back and pretended not to notice, but yet had felt the contact sweet. They were lingering over the dinner when Hannah Heath came to the door. David had been telling of some of his adventure in detail, and was enjoying the play of expression on Marcia's face as she listened eagerly to every word. They had pushed their chairs back a little and were sitting there talking or rather David was talking, Marcia listening. Hannah stood for one jealous instant and saw it all. This is what she had dreamed for her own long years back, she and David. She had questioned much, just what feeling there might be between him and Marcia, and now more than ever she desired to bring him face to face with Kate and read for herself what the truth had been. She hated Marcia for that look of intense delight and sympathy upon her face, hated her that she had the right to sit there and hear what David had to say, some stupid stuff about railroads. She did not see that she herself would have made an ill companion for a man like David. As yet, neither Marcia nor David had touched upon the subjects which had troubled them. They did not realize it, but they were so suddenly happy in each other's company They had forgotten for the moment. The pleasant converse was broken up at once. Marcia's face hardened into something like alarm as she saw who stood in the doorway. "'Why, David, have you come home at last?' said Hannah. "'I did not know it.' That was an untruth. She had watched him from behind Grandmother Heath's rose-bush. "'Where did you come from last? New York?' "'Oh, then you saw Mrs. Leavenworth. How is she? I fell in love with her when I was there.' Now David had never fully taken in Kate's married name. He knew it, of course, but in his present state of happiness at getting home, and his absorption in the work he had been doing, the name Mrs. Leavenworth conveyed nothing whatever to David's mind. He looked blankly at Hannah, and replied indifferently enough, with a cool air. No, Miss Hannah, I had no time for social life. I was busy every minute I was away. David never expected Hannah to say anything worth listening to, and he was so full of his subject that he had not noticed that she made no reply. Hannah watched him curiously as he talked. His remarks, after all, were directed more to Marcia than to her, and when he paused she said with a contemptuous sneer in her voice, I never could understand, David, how you, who seem to have such sense in other things, will take up with such fanciful, impractical dreams as this railroad. Lemuel says it'll never run. Hannah quoted her lover with a proud bridling of her head, as if the matter were settled once and for all. It was the first time she had allowed the world to see that she acknowledged her relation to Lemuel. She was not averse to having David understand that she felt there were other men in the world besides himself. But David turned Mary eyes on her. Lemuel says, he repeated, and he made a sudden movement with his arm, which sent a knife and spoon from the table in a clatter upon the floor. And how much does Lemuel know about the matter? Lemuel has good practical common sense, said Hannah, vexed, and he knows what is possible and what is not. He does not need to travel all over the country on a wild goose chase to learn that. Now that she had accepted him, Hannah did not intend to allow Lemuel to be discounted. He has not long to wait to be convinced, said David thoughtfully and unaware of her tart tone. Before the year is out, it will be a settled fact that everyone can see well it's beyond comprehension what you care anyway said hannah contemptuously did you really spend all your time in new york on such things it seems incredible there certainly must have been other attractions there was insinuation in hannah's voice though it was smooth as butter but david had had long years of experience in hearing hannah heath's sharp tongue he minded it no more than he would have minded the buzzing of a fly Marcia's color rose, however. She made a hasty errand to the pantry to put away the bread, and her eyes flashed at Hannah through the close-drawn pantry door. But Hannah did not give up so easily. "'It is strange you did not stay with Mrs. Leavenworth,' she said. "'She told me you were one of her dearest friends, and you used to be quite fond of one another.' Then it suddenly dawned upon David, who Mrs. Leavenworth was, and a sternness overspread his face. Mrs. Leavenworth, did you say? Ah, I did not understand. I saw her but once, and that for only a few minutes, soon after I first arrived. I did not see her again. His voice was cool and steady. Marcia, coming from the pantry with set face, ready for defense if there was any she could give, marveled at his coolness her heart was gripped with fear, and yet leaping with joy at David's words. He had not seen Kate but once. He had known that she was there, and yet had kept away. Hannah's insinuations were false, Mr. Temple's words were untrue. She had known it all the time, yet what sorrow they had given her. "'By the way, Marcia said david turning toward her with a smile that seemed to erase the sternness in his voice but a moment before did you not write me some news miss hannah you are to be congratulated i believe lemuel is a good man i wish you much happiness and thus did david with a pleasant speech turn aside hannah heath's dart yet while she went from the house with a smile and a sound of pleasant wishes in her ears she carried with her a bitter heart and a revengeful one. David was suddenly brought face to face with the thing he had to tell Marcia. He sat watching her as she went back and forth from pantry to kitchen, and at last he came and stood beside her and took her hands in his, looking down earnestly into her face. It seemed terrible to him to tell this thing to the innocent girl now, just when he was growing anxious to win her confidence. BUT IT MUST BE TOLD, AND BETTER NOW THAN LATER, LEST HE MIGHT BE TEMPTED NOT TO TELL IT AT ALL. Marcia, HE SAID THE NAME TENDERLY, WITH AN INFLECTION HE HAD NEVER USED BEFORE. IT WAS NOT LOVER-LIKE NOR PASSIONATE, BUT IT REACHED HER HEART AND DREW HER EYES TO HIS AND THE COLOR TO HER CHEEKS. SHE THOUGHT HOW DIFFERENT HIS CLASP WAS FROM HARRY TEMPLE'S HATEFUL TOUCH. SHE LOOKED UP AT HIM TRUSTINGLY AND WAITED you heard what i said to hannah heath just now about your he paused dissatisfied about mrs leavenworth it was as if he would set the subject of his words far from them marcia's heart beat wildly remembering all that she had been told yet she looked bravely trustingly into his eyes it is true what i told her i met mrs leavenworth but once while i was away it was in her own home and she sent for me, saying she was in trouble. She told me that she was in terrible anxiety, lest I should not forgive her. She begged me to say that I forgave her, and when I told her I did, she asked me to kiss her once to prove it. I was utterly overcome and did so, but the moment my lips touched hers, I knew that I was doing wrong, and I put her from me. She begged me to remain, and I now know that she was utterly false from the first. It was but a part she was playing when she touched my heart till I yielded and sinned. I have only learned that recently, within a few days, and from words written by her own hand to another. I will tell you about it all sometime, but I want to confess to you this wrong I have done, and to let you know that I went away from her that day and have never seen her since. She had said she was without money, and I left her all I had with me. I now know that too was unwise, perhaps wrong. I feel that all this was a sin against you. I would like you to forgive me if you can, and I want you to know that this other woman, who was the cause of our coming together, and yet has separated us ever since we have been together, is no longer anything to me. Even if she and I were both free as we were when we first met, we could never be anything but strangers. Can you forgive me now, Marcia, and can you ever trust me after what I have told you?' Marcia looked into his eyes and loved him but the more for his confession. She felt she could forgive him anything, and her whole soul in her countenance answered with her voice as she said, "'I can!' It made David think of their wedding day, and suddenly it came over him with a thrill that this sweet womanly woman belonged to him. He marveled at her sweet forgiveness. The joy of it surprised him beyond measure. You have had some sad experiences yourself. Will you tell me now all about it? He asked the question wistfully, still holding her hands in a firm close grasp, and she let them lie nestling there, feeling safe as birds in the nest. "'Why, how do you know?' questioned Marcia, her whole face flooded with rosy light, for joy at his kind ways, and relief that she did not have to open the story. "'Oh, a little bird or a guardian angel whispered the tale,' he said pleasantly. "'Come into the room where we can be sure no Hannah Heath's will trouble us.' and he drew her into the library and seated her beside him on the sofa. But indeed, Marcia, and his face sobered, it is no light matter to me what has happened to you. I have been in an agony all the way home, lest I might not find you safe and well after having escaped so terrible a danger. He drew the whole story from her bit by bit, tenderly questioning her, his face blazing with righteous wrath, and darkening with his wider knowledge as she told on to the end and showed him plainly the black heart of the villain who had dared so diabolical a conspiracy and the inhumanity of the woman who had helped in the intrigue against her own sister nay even instigated it his feelings were too deep for utterance he was shaken to the depths his new comprehension of kate's character was confirmed at the worst marcia could only guess his deep feelings from his shaken countenance and the earnest way in which he folded his hands over hers and said in low tones filled with emotion we should be deeply thankful to god for saving you and i must be very careful of you after this that villain shall be searched out and punished if it takes a lifetime and miranda what shall we do for miranda perhaps we can induce her grandmother to let us have her some time to help take care of us. We seem to be unable to get on without her. We'll see what we can do some time in return for the great service she has rendered. But the old clock striking in the hall suddenly reminded David that he should go at once to the office, so he hurried away and Marcia set about her work with energy, a happy song of praise in her heart. There was much to be done, David had said he should scarcely have time to go over to his aunt's that night, so she had decided to invite them to tea. She would far rather have had David to herself this first evening, but it would please them to come, especially Aunt Clorinda. There was not much time to prepare supper, to be sure, but she could stir up a gingerbread, make some puffy cream biscuits, and there was lovely white honey and fresh eggs and peach preserves so she ran to Deacon Appleby's to get some cream for her biscuits, and to ask Tommy Appleby to harness David's horse and drive over for Aunt Clorinda. Then she hurried down to the aunt's to give her invitation. Aunt Clorinda sat down in her calico-covered rocking chair, wiped her dear old eyes and her glasses, and said, over and over again, Dear child, bless her, bless her! It was a happy gathering that evening, David was as pleased as they could have desired, and looked about upon the group in the dining-room with genuine boyish pleasure. It did his heart good to see Aunt Clorinda there. It had never occurred to him before that she could come. He turned to Marcia with a light in his eyes that fully repaid her for the little trouble she had had in carrying out her plan. He began to feel that home meant something, even though he had lost the home of his long dreams and ideals he talked a great deal about his trip and in between the sentences he caught himself watching marcia noting the curve of her round chin the dimple in her left cheek when she smiled the way her hair waved off from her forehead the pink curves of her well-shaped ears he found a distinct pleasure in noting these things and he wondered at himself it was as if he had suddenly been placed before some great painting and become possessed of the knowledge wherewith to appreciate art to its fullest. It was as if he had heard a marvellous piece of music, and had the eyes and ears of his understanding opened to take in the gracious melodies and majestic harmonies. Aunt Clorinda watched his eyes, and Aunt Clorinda was satisfied. Aunt Hortense watched his eyes jealously and sighed. Aunt Amelia watched his eyes and set her lips and feared to herself. He will spoil her if he does like that. She will think she can walk right over him. But Aunt Clorinda knew better. She recognized the eternal right of love. They took the three old ladies home in the rising of an early moon, Marcia walking demurely on the sidewalk with Aunt Amelia, while David drove the chaise with Aunt Clorinda and Aunt Hortense. As he gently lifted Aunt Clorinda down and helped her to her room, David felt her old hands tremble and press his arm, and when he had reached her door, he stooped and kissed her. "Davy," she said in the voice that used to comfort his little childish troubles, or tell him of some nice surprise she had for him, "Davy, she's a dear child. She's just as good as gold. She's the princess I used to put in all your fairy tales. David, she's just the right one for you.' and David answered earnestly, solemnly, as if he were discovering a truth which surprised him, but yet was not unwelcome. I believe she is Aunt Clorinda. They drove to the barn, and Marcia sat in the chaise in the sweet hay-scented darkness, while David put up the horse by the cobwebby light of the lantern. Then they walked quietly back to the house. David had drawn Marcia's hand through his arm, and it rested softly on his coat-sleeve. She was silently happy, she knew not why, afraid to think of it, lest to-morrow should show her there was nothing out of the ordinary monotony to be happy about. David was silent, wondering at himself. What was this that had come to him, a new pleasure in life, a little trembling rill of joy bubbling up in his heart, a rift in the dark clouds of fate, a show of sunshine where he had expected never to see the light again? WHY WAS IT SO PLEASANT TO HAVE THAT LITTLE HAND RESTING UPON HIS ARM? WAS IT REALLY PLEASANT, OR WAS IT ONLY A PART OF THE RESTFULNESS OF GETTING HOME AGAIN, AWAY FROM STRANGE FACES AND UNCOMFORTABLE BEDS AND POOR TABLES? THEY LET THEMSELVES INTO THE HOUSE AS IF THEY WERE WALKING INTO A NEW WORLD TOGETHER, AND BOTH WERE GLAD TO BE THERE AGAIN. WHEN SHE GOT UP TO HER ROOM, Marcia WENT AND STOOD BEFORE THE GLASS AND LOOKED AT HERSELF BY THE FLICKERING FLAME OF THE CANDLE. Her eyes were bright, and her cheeks burned red in the center, like two soft deep roses. She felt she hardly knew herself. She tried to be critical. Was this person she was examining a pretty person? Could she be called so in comparison with Kate and Hannah Heath? Would a man, would David, if his heart were not filled, think so? She decided not. She felt she was too immature. There was too much shyness in her glance, too much babyishness about her mouth. No, David could never have thought her beautiful, even if he had seen her before he knew Kate. But perhaps, if Kate had been married first and away, and then he had come to their house, perhaps if he knew no one else well enough to love, could he have cared for her? Oh, it was a dreadful, beautiful thought. It thrilled through and through her, till she hid her face from her own gaze. She suddenly kissed the hand that had rested on his sleeve, and then reproached herself for it. She loved him, but was it right to do so? As for David, he was sitting on the side of his bed, with his chin in his hands, examining himself. He had supposed that with the reading of those letters which had come to him but two short days before, all possibility of love and happiness had died, but lo he found himself thrilling with pleasure over the look in a girl's soft eyes and the touch of her hand and that girl was his wife it was enough to keep him awake to try to understand himself chapter twenty five